I don't know the last time I sang I Believe Children of the Future, though. But I did burn like a thousand steps on my Fitbit during Break Every Chain. So clapping will do that. Good, mor- oh, good morning. Wow. I'm a- good evening, family. My name is David. I'm one of the pastors here at Grace Covenant, and I love being with you. Uh, I am from our Sterling congregation, so if I don't look familiar to you, it's because I'm in Sterling on Sunday mornings, and it is a pleasure to be with you and worshiping with you and celebrating with you. We are one family with multiple locations, and uh, in Sterling, we're responsible for the Route 7 corridor, so we have claimed uh, McLean out to Round Hill is our responsibility to preach the gospel uh, with our Grace Covenant family. So you guys are responsible for the rest of the D.C. metro area in Northern Virginia. <laughs> so I'll be praying for you. <laughs> Pastor Jim has been on a series where he's been talking about emo- emotional health. And today he's asked me to speak on the importance of being vital- vitally connected to community. We're going to be looking in the, in the book of Colossians chapter 3. So Colossians chapter 3, it's, uh, if you're looking for it in your Bible or on your phone app, it's right after Colossians 2 and right before Colossians 4. Thank you so you're welcome. Some, uh, some background on the book of Colossians. It was written by the Apostle Paul to the, to the church in Colossae. Uh, the reason for this letter is that uh, the church in Colossae was facing some challenges in their theology. There were some heresies working themselves into uh, their, their doctrine and into their theology. And so Paul was writing them a letter to instruct them and correct where they were wrong and help them see and remember the, that what Christ had done on their behalf. Uh, what tends to happen in our lives, and, and it happens for you and I as well, is we're so thankful for the gift of salvation in Jesus Christ. We realize that we can't make it on our own. And we surrender our life and we walk with Jesus for a moment. And then, and then somewhere along this path, we begin to think that, okay, I'm a little something because God saved me. And then we think, I'm a little something, so God saved me. Right? Did anybody else do that or just me? Okay, so maybe just me. That's cool. But uh, so we go along and we begin to insert ourselves into what Christ did a little more strongly than we should have. And we, we kind of inverse the roles. We invert the roles. And we're like, God, just make me a better version of me. And he wants to make a completely new version of you. And that's what he died on the cross to accomplish. In the church in Colossae, they were, they were facing things like the depreciation of Christ. And that's what I was just describing. That's where you kind of bring him down and you kind of make him your homeboy and your friend and your helper. And he's just going to make you, you know, a better version of you. They had strict rules about the kinds of food and drink and religious festivals and circumcision. I think one of the things that might have also been talked about here is also how people should dress, what they should wear. And, 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 be, and I'll talk about that in just a minute. They had, they had all these rules, asceticism, don't touch, don't handle, don't taste. They also, angel worship kind of crept in. And everybody was going for this big, grand, emotional or visceral, like this experience beyond what Christ has already done for them and what the Holy Spirit wanted to do in them. And so they started bragging about all these big things and seeking after angels and seeking after experiences. And then finally, uh, another risk was the reliance on human, uh, human wisdom and tradition. 
And so Paul's trying to bring them back and let them remind, remind them and let them remember the cross. Let them remember the resurrected Savior. Let them remember the Holy Spirit who is being poured out to empower them and transform their lives. The problem with all of these things is that it puts human effort on top of what Jesus has done. In his resurrection, in the pouring out of his Holy Spirit, you know, sometimes it happens honestly because you want the deeper things of God. Has anybody ever felt that way? You're like, I just want the deeper things of God. And so you're like, if only worship was 15 minutes longer, I could experience and know the deeper things of God. Anybody felt that way? If only Jesus, sir, if only God had written an extra book of the Bible, I could find the deeper things of God. Maybe if John Piper or T.D. Jakes just wrote another book, I could experience the deeper things of God. Right? Maybe if I, if I watch TV with enough discernment, you know, Dr. Phil could teach me the deeper things of life that Jesus left out of his word. And so we start looking for these deeper things of God because we feel like maybe God forgot to handle certain things in his word. And so, so you start looking for these external and these other experiences. But the deeper things of God is God himself. And so Paul's solution to all of this was simply just to point them back to Jesus. So you'll see in Colossians 1, for example, it goes into this beautiful description about how Jesus is the king and the Lord of everything. Everything came from him and for him, through him and by him. And so it's so beautiful. And so I encourage you, as you're reading your Bible every day, Colossians is a great option on the menu of Scripture. It'll fill you up. Yeah, see? Thank you, Pastor Robert. You know, the, other, the only, in addition to drawing your worship away from Christ and, and distracting your devotion to Him and putting a cap on the transformation that the Holy Spirit is able to accomplish in your life, these things also produce division. See, God has designed us to live in vibrant community with one another. We are the body of Christ. But so long as it depends on how well I meet a standard that I've set, and you set out to meet a standard that you set, we're going to be pitted against one another to see who's more righteous, who's more holy, who's closer to God, who has greater revelation, who's got the greater gift, who's got the better service, who's got the better car, the nicer house, who saw the bigger angel or the smaller angel, who saw the bigger healing, right? <laughs> bigger angel, smaller angel. Do we have a problem there? So it's got implications for their faith and proper worship but it has implications for the vital community that we're supposed to be attached to as well. So let's take a look at this passage. In Colossians chapter 3, we're looking at verses 12 through 14. Put on then, as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another. And if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other. As the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. Father, help us. Open our eyes to the reality of your kingdom. Open our eyes to what you accomplished for us 
on the cross and in your resurrection. Help us today, Jesus, to allow you to move deeply in our hearts and minds. Change us. Amen. You can tell a lot about what somebody is up to based on how they're dressed. If somebody has on a football helmet, they're probably going to play football. It's not real complicated. If somebody has a fisherman hat and, you know, fisherman waders and a fishing pole, they're probably going fishing. I think there was a, a challenge in this church about how they should dress because the Gnostics had a view and the Jewish people had a view and the Gentiles had a view and there were all these views kind of coming into one. And so, so Paul, I think, decided, you know what, I'm going to take this on from a different perspective. Instead of siding with one side or the other and telling you, oh, your tassel needs to be this long and it needs to be worn in this way during this time and this way during this time, he's like, I think Christ wants you to put on something altogether different. And when we all put on the same thing, we're going to be able to exist in vital community with one another. When we all put on the same thing, we're going to be able to overcome these obstacles, these challenges that they were facing in their theology and doctrine. He addresses those specifically, but, he's, but he understands that if, they, if he addresses these things, but he doesn't tell them how to, what to put on and how to walk with one another, then, then they'll just find something else to fight about. We're good at finding things to fight about. So this passage, I started in verse 12, and uh, it starts with a, a trick kind of phrase. It says, put on then, or in the NIV, it says, therefore. Anytime in scripture you see the word therefore, you need to ask the question, what is it there for? <laughs> because it's connecting what's about to happen with something that has already happened. And so if you take it out of context, you're not going to understand why we should do this. Why should we as God's chosen ones as, and, and, and as beloved? Why should we put on compassionate hearts? Why should we put on kindness? Why should we put on humility? All of those things are risky. All of those put my, they put me out there. In this case, the answer comes almost immediately before, and you can find it really in verses 1 through 11. But verse, verse 11 itself says, Here, in the body of Christ, there is not Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave and free, but Christ is all and in all. He's like, leave those foolish divisions out of the body of Christ. Because in him, we're one. Because in him, we're one. Put these things on so we can look like the team that we're supposed to look like. You see one guy walking down the street in a football helmet. I could have just said, you know, he's, he's either out for a weird walk or going to a football game. If you see a whole team of people walking with helmets on, you know, a football game's about to go down. You see one person walking with compassion and you're like, that's a nice person. You see a group of people walking in compassion. There's something formidable happening. So Paul says, clothe yourselves. And that's where we're going to spend most of our time. We're just going to fly through these and we're going to look at these. And ask ourselves, how can we put those on today? What does it look like to put it on tomorrow? 
He says, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. With compassionate hearts. You want to know why Christian compassion is so significant? It's because everybody hurts. Everybody is sore. When I started working out with this group of friends, uh, they spend the first, you know, everybody gets there early and they're stretching and they're rolling out. In the first six months, um, I'm, I'm not as big or as strong as any of the guys that I was working out with. And so, you know, I was sitting here and I was hurting every single day. I, I didn't want to walk in. It was, it was awful. You know, like we'd work out and I'd start hurting that day and it'd get worse and worse and worse. And then by the time I get there 20 or you know, 48 hours later, I'm crying. And these guys are, are rolling on softballs like to get the knots out. And I'm like, they're not made of the same material as me. <laughs> and then finally one day, one of my friends goes, man, we're all sore. And I was like, are you kidding me? I've been sore all by myself. Like I didn't want to admit it when I was sore because I thought I was the only one who was sore. Sometimes in our Christian life, we think we're the only one who's still sore. Sometimes there's soreness underneath the surface, but, but we don't talk about it because we don't want somebody else to know because then we're the vulnerable sore one. I'm so glad that it took a former NFL player who's bigger, stronger, faster than me to say, hey, I'm sore too. So if you want to be bigger, stronger, faster, if you want to show that you're the bigger, stronger, faster one, just admit your soreness. The church is not full of a group of people who said, I'm okay without Jesus. We're not here because we're doing so well on our own and our life is producing such great fruit and we're guaranteed heaven because we're wonderful. We're not here because we're going to bank on giving alms. We're not here because we're, we're banking on doing enough good stuff to outweigh the bad stuff because we know us. We say, there's no way for me to accomplish the perfect will of God in my life except for Jesus doing it on my behalf and me riding, on his, riding in his shadow, right? That's, that's what brings us here. So compassionate hearts, we need to put that in because everybody's hurting. Kindness, giving someone what they need, not necessarily what they want. I was talking to Pastor Donnell yesterday. Pastor Donnell Jones is the pastor of our church in D.C. And we were talking about rebuking uh, because I, I, had, I was repenting to him for something and, and he was forgiving me. It was, it was awesome. I was like, man, I'm sorry. I messed up here. And he said, I forgive you. It was beautiful. It was easy. It was like, wow, is that, that, would, that didn't hurt. And I said, can you help me understand how to respond to correction better? And he said, David, in Timothy, we learn that the word is given to us and it's fruitful for instruction and training, rebuke and correction. And we love the first two. We love training and instruction, don't we? Pastor Donnell joked that our iPods are full of it, our journals are full of instruction and training. We give good honorariums for inspiration and training. And I love that message. When was the last time you gave, a, gave extra for like a turn or burn kind of message? The one that cut you deep and told you it was your fault. 
right? We like, we like the, the message where Jesus is like, I'm going to make you great. And you're like, you're like, yeah, I'll sow into that word. The Christ is great and you need to repent and change and come into his will. We're like, uh, strong. Money goes the other direction. <laughs> if, we, if we just focus on being nice to one another, we'll never get to the rebuke and correction that forms us into his image, that prunes the junk out of our lives, that cuts the junk out and shows us and shapes us into the body that he intends for us to be. That's why it says kindness, not niceness. Humility, C.S. Lewis defines humility as not thinking less of yourself, but thinking more of others. I used to think that humility meant degrading myself and treating myself in an awful way. Thinking ill of myself. You know, kind of kind of flogging myself and beating myself up for my mistakes and my failures. Thinking that I wasn't worthy of anything. Instead of looking at other people and saying, you're significant. God wants to do great things in your life. This is, this is how God's gifted you. This is how he's formed you. And I want to help see that come to fruition. Not getting weird because, because, you know, somebody got the job that you wanted. You could celebrate for them and with them. Humility is going to be really important if we're ever going to demonstrate compassion and kindness, because it doesn't do a whole lot for you. To demonstrate compassion, it's going to cost you. To be kind, it's going to cost you. So humility is going to be very important. Meekness or gentleness is controlled strength, not weakness. It takes a lot more strength to control strength than to haul off. Yeah. It was quiet. We feel if defending ourselves and raising our voice and making ourselves big is strength, but true strength is to be gentle. Proverbs promises that a soft reply turns away wrath. It's kind of like this judo style defense. Instead of this, I'll punch you in the mouth kind of defense. Judo, you use somebody's momentum against them. So you just kind of let them swing and you step out of the way and you let it go. But it takes controlling your strength and disciplining your soul to be able to live that way. Patience. We're going to need some patience. (laughs) We're going to have to put this one on. Because though we're perfectly loved, we're far from perfected. It's going to take patience with yourself. It's going to take patience with others. You know, it's, when I talk to a, to a couple that's married 
and we're looking at their marriage, Pastor Donnell and Pastor Sean, Pastor Duke, I'm Robert, I'm sure that you all say the same kind, kind of advice. It's that, you know, I know you want change in your marriage, but before you can have that, you need change in yourself first. You need change here, and you need, you need change here before you're going to have change here. And we could talk all day long about change here, but if there's no change here, then this is hopeless. But one of the things that happens is sometimes we think we're changing faster than we're changing. And that someone else isn't changing as fast as we're changing. And then all of a sudden we grow quite impatient with their change. (laughs) Hurry up and change. (laughs) Hurry up and be patient. (laughs) This patience one, I think, is a warning of what follows right after. Bearing with one another. And if one has a complaint against another... Forgiving each other. If the other person earns your forgiveness and deserves it. (laughs) No. That's in the book of hallucinations. (laughs) No, that's not how it ends at all. You know what's, what's so, so impossible about this is it's calling us to do this regardless of how the other person's acting. Regardless of whether or not the person deserves it or has taken moves towards loving you or moves towards repentance. It says, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you. So you must forgive. Not if people are good to you or nice to you. Not if they're kind to you or patient with you. Not if they were gentle with you. So there's not this checkbox, of, checkbox list of things where you can say, well, you weren't these things, so I'm not forgiving you yet. Because what Christ has already done is the basis by which this command is made. That we must forgive. It's not based on our horizontal relationships, but our vertical one. It's what Jesus did for you and for the person who you have offense with has very little to do with this. Forgiveness is about our response to Jesus more than it is any man. That's a hard pill to swallow. That's a hard reality to live in. But thankfully, I mean, I take comfort from this. The Bible says all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. (laughs) Right? So I don't have to wonder, am I among those who have sinned? (laughs) Yep, it was definitely me. I'm among those, all who have sinned doesn't say some have sinned or, or the worst have sinned. It says all have sinned. And so I don't have to go, hey, God, is this somebody in need of your salvation and in need of your sanctification and in need of your transformation or not? Because if they are, I need to be kind to them if, and forgive them. If they're not, then I, I, can just, they, I can just cast them off and not forgive them. All have sinned. Because of that, 
Sometimes we look like sinners. I'm a real deep person. So when you wake up in the morning, after you've checked your Facebook status and looked for any new Pokemon, you brush your teeth and you're getting ready to leave the house, you got that mirror, right? You check that mirror. You're like, do I look right? You spent some time in the mirror already while you got dressed, but you're going to check again just to make sure one last time. And if you're anything like me, you just got a little bit of vanity in you, you're also going to check storefront windows and cars and, you know, anything else that you can walk by in your day. I just catch a glimpse of yourself and... No? Nobody else? Just me. You guys are liars. But I'm going to forgive you. And I'm going to be I'm going to be patient with you. I was being kind to you when I called you liars. But I'm going to humble myself and not think better of me than I should. You look good. And I feel for you. But we check ourselves out to make sure that we look good. We look at that mirror and to, to make sure that if it looks the way we want it to look and it looks how we think it feels and we want to confirm that we're right. Every day we should look in the mirror of Scripture to make sure that we put these things on. The last one of these things is love. Love is an exciting one. It says after you've put all of this on, put on love because it binds together. To quote the great poet and philosopher Hathaway, what is love? What is love? What is love? Baby, don't hurt me. (laughs) Don't hurt me. No more. Don't hurt me. Don't hurt me. No more. You know, it's funny. He's like, what is love? Don't hurt me. You know, he's like so confused. I, I don't know what to stop hurting me. Like, what is love? It's in, in love is, is in, in this passage is, is the word agape, which is the highest form of love, which is marked by vigorous commitment and benevolence. Not based on what anybody else has done or said or thinks or, or feels. But it's a decision that you make that you're going to sacrifice everything and commit it to that person's wholeness and goodness and transformation. Above everything else, put on this agape love. When you look in the mirror, do I have agape on this morning? Am I committed to love my wife this morning? Am I committed to love my kids this morning? Am I committed to love my neighbor? Am I committed to love my church? Am I committed to love my pastor and my leadership and my, and my, and my fellow church members? Am I committed to love the people that I don't want to love? Am I committed to love that person who got in the express lane with 25 items instead of 15? Do I have love on? Love 
is so important to this passage as I close. Because the Bible promises that love casts out all fear and that love covers a multitude of sins. When you bring all of these things on underneath the coveralls or the covering or that last garment of love, it binds it all together and it will give you the courage to see one another in the shadow of the, of the empty cross. The way that God sees his body. It's going to take courage. And that's why fear needs to be cast out. And it's going to take a covering. What I like about the way this is finally put on love. It covers a multitude of sins. So it covers your sins and your failings and the putting on. And when you're walking in that kind of forgiveness and you're walking in that kind of covering, it's easy to give to someone else. Because you've no longer got something to prove. God, I thank you tonight that we're all here because of you. God, you have called us, you've created us to live in vital community vitally connected to community, connected to one another. God, it's not hard to see the things that could divide us. For this church in Colossae, it was theology. It was wrong belief. But God, I recognize tonight that wrong belief comes in a lot of different ways. And I recognize that division is trying to come through politics and through skin color, through culture. God, we recognize tonight as a body that this isn't all about us, but it's all about you. Help us surrender to you, Jesus. Help us to put on these virtues. Not by our own definition, but as you've defined them. Help us, God, to find our life and our identity in you and in you alone. the work that you accomplished for us on the cross and makes all of this possible in the first place. Help us to find one another there at the foot of the cross. Help us to find one another clothed with compassionate hearts, clothed with kindness, clothed with humility clothed with meekness and patience, forgiveness and love. And Jesus, forgive us for where we've promoted ourselves beyond the work that you've done or looked for depth outside of you. Forgive us and make us whole. 
as individuals so that we can be whole together in Jesus' name. Amen.